springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. Every bunny loves honey-glazed carrots, a great side dish for your springtime celebration and a delicious compliment to a sweet, bright Moscato. Wine is made in virtually every country in the world, and I'm ready to give you a tour to find the right one. Serving lamb this season? Try it with a bold Cabernet from the trendy Paso Robles region. Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection this spring at Total Wine & More. Cheers! This is ContactTalkRadio.com. Consciousness in action. And you are taking action into your consciousness by tuning into Contact Talk Radio. And on TuneIn.com, Hing.fm, and Upsnap Mobile. Contact Talk Radio. From burnout and exhaustion to joy and fulfillment. Through the act of serving consciously, it's time to rediscover your passion. It's live with Elizabeth and guests on the Contact Talk Radio Network. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Serving Consciously. I'm your host, Elizabeth Bishop, and I'm so pleased that you took some time today to come and listen to the show. Before we get going, I wanted to let you know that uh, registration is open for my eight-week online course. It's called the Self-Connection Series. It's an interactive course. It's very experiential. I'm going to be teaching it live online, actually, and recording um, each of the sessions for anybody who's not able to come out during the uh, the time slot. But at the end of the uh, session, at the end of eight weeks, you're going to step away with a really a much deeper sense of who you are in relation to the service that you're providing and a personalized plan that is going to help for you to continue deepening your sense of self-connection and uh, take steps as far as how you're wanting to... Um, contribute in in your work through your work and uh how you want to do that from a place of being inspired and being really connected to your sense of your own personal style and um and what sort of makes your heart sing so if you're interested in that you can go to my website at elizabethbishopconsulting.com just go under programs and services and you'll find the self connection series there and all of the details are there so i'd be thrilled if you checked that out and i'd be honored if you joined us in that uh eight-week course. So you know that this hour, every second and fourth Friday of the month, is about serving consciously. So it's really about integrating who you are with what you do. And each week, we take an element of, of an approach that I've developed called the conscious service approach. There's four interconnected elements. One is self-connection, like I was just talking about. Enlightened communication is another transformative relationships, and co-creating community. And again, there's a lot of information at my website about the Conscious Service Approach if you're interested in checking that out as you're listening. But today, we're going to do a deep dive into co-creating community, and we're going to look specifically at the role of corporate mindfulness. And I'm so excited to have my guest, G.V. Saran, of Winds of Change here with me today. And I'd like to remind you as we're getting ready to, to start our conversation, if you have any questions or if you want to share anything while we're talking over this next hour, feel free to phone in at 1-844-390-8255. So G.V. Saran is a corporate consultant with a Ph.D. in spirituality and an MBA with a specialization in leadership. And G.V.'s a master facilitator. She facilitates meetings, workshops, retreats, and she's been able to prove results in a highly effective way. She's been known to be an engaging speaker, captivating her audience with her unconventional views around leadership and high-performance teams. Her unique 
spiritual spin on leadership and team development allows her to navigate different challenges and come up with realistic solutions for common and not so common problems in the workplace. So I encourage you as well to check out GV's website at windsofchange.ca. So GV is here today. I'm so happy that you've joined us, GV. Thank you, Elizabeth. I'm absolutely honored to be here. And I just noticed something new in um, GV and I stay quite connected through social media. And um, I noticed something new in your branding. So um, the term corporate mentalist, I'm really curious about that. And I, I wondered if you could tell us a bit about how that came to be. Yes, of course. Um, it's about getting concise with the work that I do and how I do it and what I bring to an organization. So when I started to think about what is it that I bring to an organization? It was really around uh, the corporate mentalist mentalist type of work. And when I say mentalist, I mean a highly evolved ability to observe, to uh, share thoughts, and to be able to really look at the depth of the individual and how they show up to work and how the work is impacted. And so the program that I bring through the Corporate Mentalist is called the Corporate Soul. And what I teach organizations is how do they look at their organization from a immortal legacy perspective. And that immortal legacy of not only their leadership, but also their organization, is directly linked to the stories that their team members tell at their dining table about the type of organization they work for. So my role as a corporate mentalist is to make sure that that individual is nurtured and we are accepting the whole person into the work environment so that the stories at the dining table shift. And if those stories shift, then our legacy in the organization shifts. That's beautiful. I love that. I love that idea of the immortal legacy. And I think just from an individual perspective as well, that's something that often drives so many of us going into um, into a vocation of service with other people is we want to know that what we're doing actually makes a difference. And, um, and being able to sort of find evidence for that, not only around us, but within us, how we're feeling in the work that we're doing. And I, I just love what you said about that immortal legacy. Beautiful. And you know, the other thing that really connects back with, with the focus and, and, um, the approach that, that I'm involved with is the fact that, you know, yes, the organization exists, the agency exists, there's a culture there, and it's almost as though that organization becomes an entity or a being of its own from the collective energy of the individuals that create that organization. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Albert Einstein said all matter is energy. And I think that the paradigm is shifting in organizations now where it's not just about the person anymore. It's not leave your problems at home like that. I think that that theory now is out the window because we're seeing high stress and high sick days and you know, increase in conflict and, and all of those are simply symptoms of us not accepting uh, the full person into work. And when I say full person, I mean engaging also the energetic presence of that person. 
Oh, I am so with you on that. That whole idea of, you know, leave, leave problems at home, leave home at home, leave work at work and trying to compartmentalize ourselves, I think is actually the root of the stress and the burnout because I believe it's impossible. Exactly, exactly. And yet what happens is as leaders and managers in the organization, we are not equipped because we have been trained for so many decades around people are to leave their problems at home that mm-hmm. we actually are not fully skilled, some of us, to accept the person at the boardroom table that's going through a divorce, um, that's going through a move, um, that's going through, you know, career issues or relationship issues. We're just not equipped, so therefore we put it aside and we put it aside. Um, however, I think there's a beauty in accepting the whole person into the work environment. I couldn't agree with you more. And I find, um, you know, in vocations of service, that's what I like to call them, but in, in um, you know, day-to-day terminology in healthcare and human services, I think that couldn't be any more important. Um, a lot of the times the, the professionals who are providing service to people are facing the same kinds of challenges and problems that people come to them for guidance and assistance with. And so it, to me, it's just so important that we are creating that kind of space for humanity, really, and for the human experience within the work that we're doing. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. important. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about your journey with mindfulness in the corporate world, because I know that you were quite connected with healthcare organizations sort of specifically before. Am I right? Yeah, I've um, had a 30-year career in healthcare. Okay. Um, in strategic leadership roles and change management, organizational development kind of work. And uh, at the in the middle of last year, I was feeling that I had done really well in my career. I was working with a magnificent team, um, had really been able to shift and really be myself in that work environment mm-hmm. and um, and was celebrated for that self in that work environment. So when I say that, my ability to be curious and ask questions um, was really celebrated. And people would say, GB, what question do you have about this project? And, and so therefore that gift was really, really, um, embraced in that work environment. But what I found, Elizabeth, was even though I had no reason to feel this way, I was still feeling empty and lost and confused and there, I couldn't name it, but there was something missing. I, I remember when I was working with my life coach, uh, one of the things I kept repeating to her was, I feel lost and I don't know why. Like, there's no reason for me to be in this place. And yet, I'm uh, questioning, you know, there's got to be more to life than this. There's There's got to be more magnificence to life than just this. And so... You know, as we started to get into that question uh, deeper and deeper, one of the questions my life coach asked me, she said, GV, why is there this either or GV? There's this corporate GV that does the organizational development type of work in healthcare. Um, and then there's this GV who just loves to travel the world, teach mindfulness, go to ashrams, um, and go to spiritual retreat centers around the world to teach. And and every three months, Elizabeth, I would just, you know, be off somewhere doing this level of work around teaching uh, people mindfulness, but very different mindfulness, 
I believe, than what the Western world knows it to be. So um, quite often I hear the definition that mindfulness is meditation. And I find that that is the greatest myth. Uh, mindfulness is a way of being. It's the way you wash the dishes. It's the, it's the way you cut your vegetables. It's the way that you listen to somebody. It's the way in which you approach your strategic planning in your organization. So it's a very action oriented thing rather than a meditative type of thing. And meditation, of course, plays a key factor in helping us uh, take control of our thoughts. But they're not, meditation and mindfulness are not synonymous. And so, you know, at that point last year, at which I was really thinking about, you know, what am I going to do with my life? And then, of course, my life coach had asked me that question around the either or GB. And why can you not have both? Mm-hmm. Why can there not be one GB? And at that point, the the MBA and the spirituality married themselves. And so I can understand profit margins, but I also understand what it takes to understand the energetic presence of a person. That's beautiful. I, I, um, I heard so much of my own experience and what you just described. So much. And, um, remembered a time specifically when I caught myself you know, after I'd, I'd had this experience many, many times, you know, getting ready for work in the morning, standing in the shower and kind of feeling filled with anxiety about I don't even know what and hearing myself thinking, well, all I have to do is get through the day. All I have to do is get through the day and then realizing, boy, you know, I'm going to wake up 90 years old and all I will have done is get through the day. And there's got to be more. There has to be more. And I think sometimes too, like when you were, you were talking about how much that curiosity and your ability to ask those questions and to bring your perspective was really embraced in your workplace. And yet you still had that sort of empty feeling. To me, that's almost like that soul calling. Okay. It's time to, it's time to go another level now. It's time to take another step. You've created some foundation here and something is still calling you. You know, mm. and I I feel like I know a lot of my work really comes down to the a couple of very basic things that the joy and the fulfillment of healthcare and human services professionals is probably the number one priority that we need to be focusing on now as far as our healthcare and social service systems are concerned. That that matters because happy people are going to provide a higher quality service. There's absolutely no doubt in my mind about that. And the ability to be able to bring who you are into what you're doing is one of the ways that you experience that sense of joy and fulfillment, you know, in your vocation. Mm-hmm. So true. So true. And I want to go a little bit further with what you said about mindfulness and the difference between mindfulness and meditation, because I, I hear that a lot too. And so, and even, and with my work as well, because a lot of my work very similarly is around being self-reflective. And a lot of times that's interpreted as, well, I have to take this time away from what I'm doing. You know, I need to find a space. My organization, my organization needs to create a special sacred space for me to go into for 20 minutes to meditate, to get quiet, to, you know, to, um, find that space inside of myself again. And I think those practices all support, you know, where, where you're wanting to go. But like you said, being reflective, being self-connected, being in conscious service, 
being mindful is really about bringing that right into each moment as much as we're possibly able to and aware of, right? Yeah, exactly. Like a few days ago, Elizabeth, I was peeling a potato. And as I was peeling the potato, I started to think, like, who defines that a potato is going to be underground? How do we know that, oh, if I dig up here, there's going to be a potato that I'm going to be able to eat? Like, the magnificence of that moment of peeling that potato thinking, where did this potato come from? Who made the decision that it's edible? And then we've created, and I know this sounds so simple, and yet there's a, a magnificence in the simplicity of looking at that potato and thinking, you know, who decided then we could do mashed potatoes, scalloped potatoes, all of these beautiful things that we can do with this one thing that mankind did not create. But yes. that, for me, is the magnificence of mindfulness. Or when you're walking in the park and you see a flower, it's it's deeper than the flower. Who decides what color that flower is going to be? Like when you think of the vibrancy of the color, those are the things that are mindful where you stay there for a moment in a place of stillness and you are in the awe of the magnificence of where that thing, situation, person has come from in divine guidance in your life. Yes. And really what you're talking about is presence, right? Mm-hmm. Being really present to the moment, being able to appreciate and have gratitude for that moment and being engaged with whatever it is that you're doing or, or not doing, right? Just to, just to be engaged. To me, those are some of the, the really key elements of working effectively with other people, whether, you know, whether it's people who are coming for, to access a service or your colleagues or coworkers. And that space, like that kind of energy, what that can do in organizational culture is absolutely amazing and, and really miraculous when we watch it happen. So when you talk about, like, when you think about, I mean, you've, you've defined mindfulness here as, as far as what it means for you and, um, and how you practice that. That was a great example of just a day-to-day activity. When you think about mindfulness within corporate culture, within organizational culture, how do you see those benefits playing out? Well, the benefits that I've seen play out, not even, uh, you know, this is, this is something that we've experienced over the last six years of the Petri dish where team members exceed goals by 30 to 40 percent in a government job. And I just want to emphasize in a government job, um, the increase in creativity of quality improvement ideas is magnified because once your thought processes are in control, you've actually got space in your mind to think of creative quality improvement ideas that increase efficiency and productivity in an organization. Um, in the organization that I worked for, we had a 100% retention rate. And as a matter of fact, we had people that high-caliber CVs that wanted to be a part of our organization. We had next to none gossip and rumor mill because people had the tools and techniques to be able to call a pinch in a pinch and say, you know, that conversation didn't really feel good. Let's talk about that. And so what happens if you 
when you bring mindfulness into the organization, there's a level of skills that the person picks up on, such as, um, you know, my model around mindfulness is around um, your relationship with yourself. So how well do you know yourself? How well do you understand yourself? And how well do you love yourself? Mm-hmm. And then the second key component being what is your relationship with others? So how well can you question other people? Because I think one of the things that's absolutely critical in communication is your ability to be able to shift your judgment to curiosity. And that curiosity requires you to be able to tailor a question so that it is coming out appropriately. And then being able to listen to other people, um, but not listen with your intention to interject with your own thought, but simply to listen until the other person's heart is empty. And then the third category uh, in the work environment is, what is your relationship with the universe? So how well can you sit in stillness? How well can you flow within universal flow? And how well can you sit and connect with something that's greater than you as a person? And so when you take all three of these categories around your relationship you have with yourself, your relationship you have with other people, and the relationship you have with something that's greater than the physical realm, whatever that looks like for someone, you get a beauty in the organization of higher dedication, loyalty. Um, we had a team, Elizabeth, on the last day of our project. Most of us didn't even know if we had jobs. And the last day of our work, work um, our project completion, I had team members still doing reports at 4.30 in the afternoon. And that shows, it indicates the level in which people, your team will engage. So if you nurture the individual, the individual will nurture your strategy. And I think we sometimes forget um, how the human being shows up to work and we think that it's all about the strategic plan, it's about the vision, it's about the goals, it's about the contingency plans, it's about the milestones. And yet somewhere in there, we lose the uh, the essence of who are you as a human being today? I, I so agree with you. Um, I so agree with you. Those other things, the strategic plans, the milestones, the mandates, the funding, all of those things, I wonder sometimes if it's because it's easier, it's more concrete, um, and it feels, or we think, that it's going to be easier to focus on that stuff, right? It's the external. Let's shift all of these things around us, and then maybe we'll feel better, and we'll see, the, you know, the changes or the shifts happen that we're hoping for. And really, it is the other way around. It is so the other way around. I oh, I have a, a whole pile of things I want to ask you after the break, but I think we'll get ready and take a quick break right now. Um, remember, if you're interested in in calling in and talking with GD and I. You can call 1-844-390-8255. We'd love to take a call from you. You're listening to Serving Consciously. I'm your host, Elizabeth Bishop, and we will be right back with G.B. Saran.
Is part of your life mission to be of service to others? Making a difference in the world is a tall order. You are the resource when it comes to serving humanity. Beyond taking care of yourself, learn to create self-connection in your life. Integrate who you are with what you do. You will find a source of inspiration and energy that surpasses your wildest imagination. Register for the Self-Connection Series at www.elizabethbishopconsulting.com. Look under Programs and Services for details. Are you a helping professional looking for inspiration, resources, and community? Visit socialworkhelper.com for relevant articles and learning opportunities. Connect with other difference makers in the world. Socialworkhelper.com Hi, everyone. You're listening to Serving Consciously. I'm your host, Elizabeth Bishop, and we are talking today with G.V. Saran, uh, the corporate mentalist of Winds of Change, and we've been talking about mindfulness in the workplace. And um, just before break, G.V., you were talking about sort of the three elements of of your approach and the way that you work with groups, and that was looking at connection and relationship to self, and relationship to others and then relationship to the universe of something bigger, um, beyond the physical. You also were talking about that whole, really one of the major benefits for organizations in taking this kind of an approach with their employees is around the retention of employees, the, um, dedication, the productivity, the enhancement of creativity uh, that people bring into, say, problem solving or program development, those kinds of things, and how important really nurturing the individual is. And and I think, you know, we see some, we see movement for sure, I believe, through things like, you know, employee assistance programs, employee wellness programs, employee recognition um, within organizations. And I still, I feel as though we're being called to go beyond that to go deeper into what are the day-to-day kinds of practices that we're actually embracing and bringing into our workplace cultures. And so when you think, we've talked a bit about sort of organizational leadership management, commitment to this process. Um, what do you think or how do you feel um, and maybe how do you work with, with people in organizations around their own personal level of responsibility as individuals that create this organizational culture? Well, the responsibility, Elizabeth, starts at the leadership, at the CEO leadership level, that if they are willing to be open to a 
leading edge, new platform way of looking at strategic planning, then inevitably, if they exemplify that behavior, it will pinball into the rest of the organization. So, for example, if the um, what we did in our organization was that we had agreed that no emails would be going around after six o'clock. Um, unless they were an emergency email, and which not only gave the email writer um, that work life, you know, that there's a, a time of work and a time of being at home, but the person that received the email then didn't feel the obligation to respond. And so sometimes it's as simple as saying, you know, this is our email etiquette within the organization. And then we had a certain degree of meeting etiquette. So when we had meetings, um, we would always start off with a personal touch, such as what's going on for people? How are their, you know, what's going, what's new and exciting for them in their life? Um, so quite often we get into a business meeting, we have an agenda, and we're like, yes, let's go for the agenda. And we're all so tied into, again, that way of doing strategy in business meetings that if we just stopped for a moment, looked around the boardroom table and said, how are you doing? How are things going for you? And you learn so much about people. You learn that they may be doing a course. Um, you know, they may be doing their bachelor's or their MBA or something to do personal growth. Maybe they attended a spiritual retreat over the weekend and they learned so much about being in a silent retreat. Um, or somebody may have gone horseback riding. All of these things are contributing factors to understanding the person. So when it comes to mindfulness, it's actually not just baked in. And I call it baked in because that's literally what it is. It becomes your business model from the CEO to any touch point you have in the organization. So does the janitor in the organization understand how cleaning the floors or cleaning the windows impact the strategic vision of that organization. And if that level of understanding is baked throughout the organization, there is a, a level of loyalty, dedication to the strategic goals that you would not believe um, because people know their role. People understand themselves. They understand how mopping the floor is impacting the larger goals, but they also understand how mopping the floor is impacting the person that's coming into work um, the next morning and is also impacting the passion with which they bring to their work. So I think mindfulness is not only baked into every single role within the organization with a key understanding of what am I bringing to the table, what I bring to the table, how does that affect uh, where we're wanting to go with the vision, and then how, what piece of the pie am I amongst this whole project organization that's taking us towards an end game? You know, and I love what you're saying uh, around the value um, and how we perceive value in the various roles that people play within an organization, because I think sometimes that happens. And, you know, until we can you know, get to a place where we have maybe a flatter kind of organization, less hierarchy and less of the bureaucratic kinds of um, systems that we often find ourselves in, especially in larger organizations, um, that it's really important, I think, to look at 
you know, what, what are the responsibilities inherent in various roles? Not that somebody has more power necessarily or more value because of the role that they're in, but how do we help people find a sense of leadership within the role that they are in, regardless of whether we would call it a formal leader or manager in the organization? And I think that that's extremely important, extremely beneficial. I'm wondering what you would say to an individual who might be listening to us now as far as, you know, bringing this kind of uh, energy and this kind of approach into organizations. If we're, if we're saying that a lot of this happens or it's most successful when it starts at a leadership or, or, um, you know, executive director level, CEO level of an organization, what about the individuals who might be listening saying, well, my organization's not ever going to do that? My organization's not set up that way. Um, they're not open to it. Um, you know, all of the, all of the roadblocks that could come up to that kind of approach. How would you help that individual to bring mindfulness into their own practice within the organization? Uh, there's a couple of avenues I would recommend, Elizabeth. One is you exemplify the change, right? And so um, when I was working in my past environment, I exemplified that leadership in myself. And so I people knew that um, I had very good work-life balance. They knew that I had a strong self-care program. Um, I knew when to say I will not be able to do that. I'd love to do it. My heart wants to say yes, but I know that my... Uh, time resources just will not allow it. Um, so one pathway is if you're trying to integrate it in your organization, find out what the value proposition is to the CEO. Find out what's important to them. We don't have as many value-based conversations, I think, that we need to have. So understanding the value of the CEO. So is it, a, I've, I've worked with a physician in which his value proposition was to get on the golf course at six o'clock. So I right. said to him, I said, okay, well, let's look at what you're doing in your practice. And if that's not working for you right now, because if you do what you do, you get what you get. It's mm-hmm. as simple as that. So <laughs> let's change what we do so that we get something differently. And so when you look at the value proposition, is it for that person to attend their child's soccer game? Is it for that person to be, you know, at the spa, whatever that self-care looks like? Then you work backwards from that value proposition. So if your CEO's value proposition is profit margin, let's just use that as as an example, the individual in the organization takes a mindfulness concept and marries it to the value proposition. So, for example, something like, um, did you know that if we ask people in a meeting how they're doing, we can actually find out what they're doing on the side, and they may be able to offer more to the organization based on a strength that we don't even know about. And I'll give you an example of that. I had gone into a medical practice, and we were implementing uh, electronic medical records in that practice, 
And this young lady, there was a young lady in the back, and she was the photocopier. So she was photocopying, um, you know, records that had to go to another practice. And I walked over to her, and I just started having a conversation. I said, how are things going? And she says, good. And I'm like, oh, you know, what are you doing? And do you like what you do? And we started having this conversation. And within about seven to eight minutes, I found out that she used to be a physician in Russia who had implemented electronic medical records. Wow. And I said to her, I went, you know, as I was talking to the lead physician, I said, do you realize that so-and-so um, actually has implemented electronic medical records already in Russia, but she's your photocopier. And yeah. she, we brought her on as the lead for the transition. So sometimes having this level of conversation increases your efficiency, your productivity, which all touches the bottom line, which is then, of course, is a value to the CEO. Now, if individually you are wanting to do something, have the courage to exemplify it. So for me, I'll show you, I'll share with you how courage showed up for me in a boardroom meeting. I am very physical, Elizabeth, so if I'm feeling uncomfortable with something or I'm stressed or I'm overwhelmed about a conversation and I'm feeling pressured to make a decision, I will actually feel nauseous. So I'm very physical in my response. And I started to gain the courage to say, great conversation, but I need time to process this because I'm feeling uncomfortable with where we're going, but I don't know why. So that is what mindfulness is about. It's about respecting your present moment. I'm respecting my nausea factor <laughs> in the present moment. And my team beautifully got to a place at which they made a they It was actually a joke, a serious joke, where they would say, GV, we talked for the last 15 minutes. What's your nausea factor on that on a scale of 1 to 10? So it actually became a baked into the organization. Or I would say something like, guys, I'm going to share a thought with you on this project, but it's a two-cent thought, <laughs> which meant I haven't formulated fully what I believe yet, but I'm going to, in the interest of sharing, I'm going to share it anyways. So which gave everybody the indication that I don't have a either-or belief system about this yet, but I'm still going to share what's going on brainstorming-wise in my head. And then I knew I had an opening to go back and make a decision about whether I liked it or not, or it was yes or no. But sometimes in, a, in an organization, we forget these very simple things, and, and yet the organization took it on. You know, people started to use that same language in the team, and they would say, well, GV, I'm kind of sharing a 50-cent thought now. <laughs> I love that. I so love that. That's what I mean about baking into the organization. It's not something that's segregated or separate. It's how you do your business, how you talk to people, how you listen to people, how do you build the courage to say, I am not feeling comfortable with this conversation, and yet I'm going to say it anyways. Yes, yes. Well, you know, I so connect with that. Your nausea was my feeling like I was going to cry. Uh -huh. And I remember telling people, you know, I notice when certain things are happening in a meeting or there's a certain dynamic or we're stuck on something and it's going way beyond that, I will start to feel like I, I, I'm going to cry. 
you know, yeah. so then that became a joke too. And it would be, you know, and they would, you know, say, oh, geez, is Elizabeth going to cry yet? You know? <laughs> and you're able to, but, but it is, there's something um, that really boosts your sense of personal power in your vulnerability and in your transparency, really. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I totally agree with what you were saying as far as really digging deep to find that courage to, to be the change, really. Isn't that Gandhi? Be the change that we're wishing to see around us. Mm. And, um, and sometimes I think you and I have both been blessed by the sounds of it as far as bringing different ideas or approaches or things that we're passionate about into, um, into, uh, our workplace and, um, and, and having it be accepted and being celebrated and a space being created for mm-hmm. that. And, you know, that kind of, to me, that's a really deep level personal responsibility to say, I'm going to show up and I'm going to start to put out there what really matters to my own heart and soul. Um, but there's a freedom in taking that responsibility because then as an individual, you start to create your own space and your own path in what you're doing. And at the same time, you know, deepening your own sense of fulfillment in the process and contributing in ways that that are meaningful for you and to your own organizational growth and culture. So mm-hmm. whether I, I think for me at the at the end of it all, whether, you know, individuals are listening um, and thinking I can't, you know, bring that in because my organization just isn't that way or maybe we have a lot of problems or whatever it is, to do yourself a favor and step into that space for yourself and just, as you said, GV, keep showing up in the way that is meaningful for you in the way that you want energetically, emotionally, spiritually, physically, in the way that you want to show up that feels right inside of your own heart. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Because really, I mean, and, and we, we do this, right? And we, and in our communication and within these systems and structures, so much of what we do is a thought process but really what we're talking about in mindfulness is more a feeling process. Like when we talk about being present or being engaged, we don't really think presence or think engaged. We feel present and we feel engaged. Exactly, exactly. It's about do you know your physical presence in that moment? Do you know your spiritual, your mental, your emotional can you feel that presence? And then it's a it's step. Then the step two is: Can you feel it? And then can you act on it? And yes. I think uh, the act part is just, if not more, critical to the feel because quite often we will know how we feel about something, but then doing something is a bridge of courage. It's that bridge you have to walk on to say. Am I going to share in this meeting how I feel right now? Because that may be vulnerable. It may be raw. People may judge me. Um, So I I feel that the feeling is um, critical as much as the bridge of courage to then taking action on that feeling. Yes. And, you know, the thing with courage, right, is we do not have it before the action usually we do we don't feel it necessarily before the action the courage is strengthened as we take the step 
and take the action and cross the bridge, right? From the feeling to the, to the other side, then we're developing and building our courage. But fear doesn't necessarily go away before we do it or we wouldn't need the courage. <laughs> yeah, true enough. So on that note, I would like to take another little break because we have uh, something a little special for our, our listeners after we come back. So um, let's do that. Let's take a quick break. You're listening to Serving Consciously. I'm your host, Elizabeth Bishop, and I'll be right back with TV Saran. Are you a helping professional looking for inspiration, resources, and community? Visit socialworkhelper.com for relevant articles and learning opportunities. Connect with other difference makers in the world. Socialworkhelper.com Tired of the same old boring training sessions? You know, those ones you sit in all day and take very little from. Head over to ElizabethBishopConsulting.com to learn more about the conscious service approach and how your organization can benefit from webinars, online programs, and in-person workshops. Renew your sense of connection with yourself and others in real and meaningful ways. Be inspired. Be encouraged. Be energized. Be you and love what you do. Hi, everyone, and welcome back. You're listening to Serving Consciously. I'm your host, Elizabeth Bishop, and we're talking to my beautiful guest, J.B. Saran of Winds of Change. And just before the break, we were talking about, you know, uh, mindfulness on different levels. You know, are we are we present in our thought? Are we present spiritually? Are we present physically? Are we present emotionally or in our, our feeling? And um, we have a special little treat for you right now. Um Connected to that idea, what our discussion about, you know, presence being something that we're feeling. And, and I think too, when I look at the, um, the work that healthcare and, and human services professionals are engaged in, there's such an element of connection with other people, people who are accessing service, their colleagues, their coworkers, their organizations as a whole. And connection is such a, a feeling, to me, such a feeling experience to feel connected with somebody else, to feel connected with ourselves. So GV is going to lead us through a brief meditation that will help us to tune in and connect to ourselves right now. Thank you, Elizabeth. 
Thanks, Judy. So I'm going to invite all the listeners to please drop those beautiful eyelids of yours. As I invite you to close your eyes, I would like you to focus on your conscious breathing. So think about, wow, in this moment, I am breathing. That beautiful breath of yours that allows us to be sharing space on this earth right now. So become very consciously aware of the breath. Be consciously aware of it coming into your nose or your mouth, your throat, your chest, your tummy, your back, wherever it is that you feel that breath. When we bring our conscious awareness that we are breathing, we increase our conscious awareness to our external surroundings. So as you become consciously aware of that breath, start to shift into a place of gratitude to that life force, the gratitude towards the breath. Because of this breath, we are able to be here today. I'm able to talk to you. We're able to have this conversation. Because of this breath, you woke up this morning to experience the world. Now, I'd like you to shift that place of gratitude towards your senses, your ability to see and hear and touch and taste, your ability to have an intuition. And for a moment, I want you to think about all of the beautiful things your tongue does for you, the ability to swallow, the ability to taste, to help you breathe, And think about the magnificence of the tongue. It has over 4,000 to 10,000 taste buds that rejuvenate themselves every 15 days without you telling it to. It simply does that functionality for you so that you can continue to taste all of the beautiful foods that you taste. Really, really going deep into the gratitude of sight. You can see the sun, you can see the flowers, you can see your children and your spouse and your friends, and you can see all the magnificence that the world brings to you. You can hear laughter, you can hear music. Just taking a moment to really, really feel that deep gratitude in connection with those senses that you've been beautifully gifted. Now taking that and shifting the gratitude into your physical body, your heart, your lungs, your pancreas, your gallbladder, your liver that simply filters for you. Think of the beauty of each one of those organs doing its part in complete harmony Just sit with that for a moment. Your circulatory system, your digestive system, your respiratory system, your reproductive system, your heart, your lungs, your pancreas, your liver. None of these things require teamwork. They don't require conflict resolution. They don't require leadership. They don't require a time clock. They simply come together for you and only you. So as you sit in this place of gratitude 
towards every single part of your body that comes together to allow you to experience this beautiful world. Come together in this physical body for you to experience this beautiful world. I want you to think about one thing in your workplace that you are extremely grateful for. One thing, and that could be simply, I get a paycheck. It could be, I love the people I work with. It could be, I'm really passionate about what I do. Sit in that place of gratitude of what gives you abundance at work. And then I'd like you to imagine a beautiful jug of golden liquid just above your head, pouring into the left hemisphere of your brain and the right hemisphere of your brain, making its way down your face and your neck, your left shoulder and your right shoulder, this beautiful golden nectar traveling down into your arms, well into your fingertips, traveling down your body, in your left hip and your right hip, completely aligning your hips with your shoulders and with the left and right hemispheres, your brain, traveling down your legs, into your knees, this beautiful golden liquid, traveling down your calves, into your left ankle and your right ankle, and well into your tippy toes. From this place of beauty and light, from this place of gratitude, any decision you make in the workplace will be clear and will be focused and will be the right one for your soul journey. And with that, I'll invite you to open your eyes. Oh, thank you, GV. I didn't want to come back. (laughs) (laughs) That was so beautiful. Thank you for guiding us through that. And I, I love the ending when you talked about what's right for your soul journey. You know, to me, that is so powerful. And, and that's really the only place for right or wrong is what is right inside of your own soul, your own heart. And as much as we can create space for each of us to come from that point of rightness, personal rightness, um, I think we all win. And I, I think that's really the ultimate goal of, of creating mindfulness within an organization. Mm-hmm. I want to give you an opportunity before we um, close for today to tell us what's up and coming for you right now. Is there anything you'd like to share with the listeners? Um, Yes. Well, my uh, book called The Corporate Mentalist uh, will launch in the end of November. Super excited about that. Congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. So that book will uh, not only take you through the personal journey of my own vulnerability, but will share with you how did I show up to work during my divorce, during the move, all of the significant things that happened in my life. How was I showing up to the boardroom table? And what will be really significant in that book is each chapter will have an ac- exercise uh, for you as a leader, if that GV is showing up for you at work, then what can you do with her? So the significance of the book is really that integration of the whole person at work. And so, yeah, there's a lot of uh, vulnerable stories. It's the first time I'm doing a level of exposure of my own story. Um, and the new branding, Elizabeth, as you've seen, the corporate mentalist. <laughs> so 
We have now created a home for the Corporate Soul Program. So um, I would invite anyone that's considering their immortal legacy to please just pick up the phone or drop me an email. It's just as easy as that to say, hey, GV, you know, I want to talk. And sometimes we don't know why, and sometimes it's just, um, it's A-OK to just say, my intuition said to contact you, and here I am. And then oh, we can chat further. That's so wonderful. Thank you, GV. I'm so thrilled for you. And I, I think, you know, um, the power of story in your book is going to be uh, potentially transformative for people who are reading it and wanting to to dive into this practice within their organizations and as leaders and as um you know, people within the organization wanting to co-create community. Um, I'm really looking forward to hearing more about it and reading your book when it comes out. So you can reach GV, as you know, at um, windsofchange.ca. I am going to be storing all guest information on my website as well. So feel free to check things out at elizabethbishopconsulting.com and everything will be there if you're wanting to get in touch with one of the guests that's been on the show. I want to thank you so much, GV, for being here today and talking about this really transformative opportunity of bringing mindfulness into the workplace and sharing your experience with us and your meditation and just your beautiful presence. Thank you so much for being here. My pleasure, Elizabeth. Thank you. And thank you to all of you listening. You've been listening to Serving Consciously. You've been listening to um, my interview today with G.V. Saran of Winds of Change. I'm Elizabeth Bishop, and I will look forward to seeing you again at the end of the month on October 28th. You've been listening to Serving Consciously with your host, Elizabeth Bishop. Consciously create your approach to work. Visit www.elizabethbishopconsulting.com. Join us on every second and fourth Friday at noon to continue rediscovering your passion. that seems casual is claiming tens of thousands of LGBT lives every year. Tobacco. Yes, smoking cigarettes can damage nearly every part of our bodies. So we choose to keep this life free from tobacco. This free life. Freedom to be tobacco free. Springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. It's peak season for asparagus, which pairs perfectly with a light and crisp rosé. Many bottles of champagne and sparkling wines are perfect for adult Easter baskets. And they're really cute, too. My perfect brunch? Belgian waffles with extra whipped cream and a holiday pour of your sweetest rosé. Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection this spring at Total Wine & More. Cheers!